Hey gang, Nick and Mike here, producers of Lost Notes. We haven't been in your feeds for a while, we know, but we are hard at work on a third season of Lost Notes, we're telling you today. And we are so pleased to say that we are working on it with Hanif Abdurraqib. You might remember him as the man behind our episode about cat power last season, we loved it. He's a poet, essayist, and cultural critic, he's based in Columbus, Ohio. His book about a tribe called Quest came out last year, it was super critically acclaimed, it made the New York Times bestseller list, I just loved it. And if you don't know that book, it's called Go Ahead in the Rain. You should read it immediately. We're going to do something a little different this season with Hanif. He's not just curating our stories. He's also writing and producing all of the stories this season. And they are all based on one theme and actually on one year, 1980. Yeah, not the entire decade, just that year. So much happened in 1980. It was the first album by the Sugar Hill Gang, which is an iconic early hip-hop record. We lost John Lennon, Darby Crash, and Ian Curtis that year. The Walkman was introduced by Sony. It was just a huge year for music and technology. And we can't wait to share Hanif's stories with you. Meantime, we have a couple of bonus episodes for you this summer, and we are sharing the first one right now. It's about the Black Panther Party, but more specifically about their house band, an R&B band that the party put together to help spread their message of revolution. That band was called The Lumpin'. And this story comes to us from Peter Gilstrap, who is a familiar voice to listeners of Lost Notes. He did the story on Glenn Shirley in season one. And this story has these incredible exclusive interviews with members of the Lumpen and with the Black Panther Party, including Michael Torrance, Saturu Ned, Emery Douglas, and Billy Jennings. And we'll also hear from Ricky Vincent, who wrote the book about the Lumpen. It's called Party Music. And if you dig this story, you should go get his book to learn even more. Okay, I think that's it for now. Here is Peter Gilstrap with the story, Power to the People. We were definitely as hardcore as anybody because we dropped everything to come. Okay, we left everything to come. We didn't join the same. We joined to be revolutionaries. We joined to make the revolution. We joined to, to be Panthers. In 1973, Michael Torrance is a 22-year-old Black Panther. He's dedicated himself to the cause and obeyed every command. He's a true soldier. But five years of complete devotion to the Panthers has taken a toll. Now, Torrance is desperate to focus on his personal life, just for a while. But to do this, he needs to get permission, and it's got to come from the top. Torrance shows up at the Lamp Post. It's a bar in West Oakland where Panther leader Bobby Seale is having a birthday party. The two men huddle in a corner and talk for a while, but it's all good. Seale gives Torrance his blessing for some time off. Torrance is relieved, but as he's making his way out of the bar, someone tells him that Huey Newton wants to see him. And he wants to see him now. Newton is Seale's comrade and co-founder of the Panthers. For years, Newton has been a strong and charismatic leader, but recently his moods have been unstable. Tonight, for whatever reason, he's agitated. Torrance is ushered into a back room, and there, flanked by a couple serious enforcers, is Newton. And uh, he says, well, uh, comrade, I hear that uh, you want to leave us. He said, well, do you want to leave bad enough to die? Do you really want to leave? bad enough to die. I don't understand the question. And June takes a gun and puts it to my head. And no, comrade, I don't want to die. I say, okay. So this is what's going to happen. You stay. 
Well, uh, but comrade, uh, would you tell this brother not to talk when I'm talking? And so the comrade give me a boot to the mouth. I stand corrected. Okay, then. So, you say, all power to the people. All power to the people. So, Michael Torrance has just been persuaded to rethink his request for some time off. And a pistol to the head, it's hard to argue with. From Watts to Brownsville, we find misery. But there won't be no more. Won't be no more. There won't be no more. Won't be no more. Torrance's five years in the Panthers have been intense. It's been a roller coaster life of extremes. Many times he's picked up a gun, but he's also picked up a microphone. Now, Torrance didn't join the Panthers to sing, but the movement's Minister of Culture gave him and three other young soldiers a special assignment for the cause. It was a musical cadre whose mission was to spread the seed of social revolution through the Trojan horse of funk and soul. It was an R&B group called... Lumpen's music is explosive. The band is powerful, and so is the message. The Lumpen work nonstop for the cause, killing it wherever they perform. San Francisco, L.A., New York, Philly, and throughout the Midwest. But it only lasts 11 months. Then things in the Black Panther Party begin to implode. What you're about to hear is the story of the rise and fall of an unlikely R&B group born out of social upheaval. But why did the Black Panthers even need a musical act? Why did they need a band whose militant agenda would put them up against the forces of prejudice and law and order with every downbeat? The thing is, the Lumpen were not out to make hit records. They were out to change American culture. It's a journey unlike that of any other band, and Michael Torrance was at the center of it. In 1966, Huey Newton and Bobby Seale co-found the Black Panther Party. They're both students at Merritt Community College in Oakland. Within a few years, the party offers educational programs, food service, free medical care, and drug rehab to the black community. And the Panthers lead the fight against rampant police brutality. By the end of the 60s, change is in the air, and the Bay Area is ground zero. San Francisco at that time, we were in the Fillmore District. It was very, very hot tension. Police were riding, you know, four or five deep. If you were out selling your papers, they would come and harass you, snatch your papers, maybe arrest you, threaten you. But at the same time, there was a lot of energy. Um, And that's the best thing about it. You could really feel the energy particularly among, you know, younger people, that we felt we could really make a change. Not only could we make a change, we were going to make a change. There was this commitment to die if necessary. Those papers are the weekly Bible of party information, a publication called The Black Panther. And the Howard Quinn Printing Company on Alabama Street is where the Lumpen story begins. 
Wednesday night was distribution night where we would get out the paper. Everybody would come. That's James Mott, now known as Saturu Ned. In 1970, he's newly arrived from the Sacramento chapter. All the future members of the Lumpen are in attendance that Wednesday night. Torrance, Mott, William Calhoun, and Clark Santa Rita Bailey. They all have musical backgrounds ranging from church choirs to pro-level experience, but when they meet, they're just loyal young soldiers taking orders along with everybody else. It was a community gathering in Fillmore. And I want you to imagine at that time, Fillmore has not, like it is now, changed to the, the gentrification. It was Fillmore. And on those distribution nights when various chapters would all come together in the bit area to get the paper out, we would sing. And we would sing at that point just doo-wop songs. So one night I went over there and the three of them were singing, so I joined in. And we started harmonizing. We just blended in so cool. And then what we would begin to do was we just would put other words to the popular songs because we would be singing what we called revolutionary songs, things to you know, encourage us in the struggle. In terms of the lump, and it kind of grew out of that, just us singing together. Part of, I guess, the tradition of just singing while you work. It's a typical Wednesday night. The four Panthers are at the print shop, stacking and racking and harmonizing into the night. But this time, there's somebody new listening. Emery Douglas, the party's minister of culture. So after I got back to Central, Emery comes in and says, Hey, Brother Comrade Jay. I said, Yeah, Emery. He says, You know, everybody relates to music. I said, Yeah, Emery, they do. He said, You guys sound good. He said, We can create a group. And the group could be part of the Ministry of Culture, where we could be able to get that message out in the music. Oh, yeah. Well, that was from when I first heard them. Emery Douglas is the brilliant style guru and visual artist whose iconic posters and flyers helped brand the movement. Uh, I just made suggestions, possibly adding uh, some social justice context to the lyrics. At this point, Bobby Seale and Huey Newton are both behind bars. So Douglas approaches Panther's chief of staff, David Hilliard. He understands the value of spreading the word through music, and he greenlights the project. He also gives the group a name, The Lumpen. It's a play on Karl Marx's idea of the lumpen proletariat, the lower class that would rise up to crush the capitalist power structure. At the time the party was coming about, political education, political awareness was, was growing Tremendously. Billy Jennings is a former Panther and the party's longtime historian. He was tight with the Lumpen members 50 years ago and still is to this day. In 1968 alone, James Brown put out a song that really changed everything because black people prior to that time were referring to themselves as Negro. You know, James Brown came out and say, we're black and we're proud. And once that record came out, you can never go back and say you're a Negro. <laughs> you can never go back. Say it loud. Say it loud. One more time. Say it loud. 
James Brown couldn't have did that in 68 if there wasn't a group like the Black Panther Party that had set up a foundation of knowledge already. Well, Emory was a, was a minister of culture. So recognizing the role of music historically in black people's struggle and just as part of our culture period, then he began to say, well, we can do something with this. You guys sound decent together anyway because, you know, we just clicked like that. And so he encouraged us to put something together. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like... Okay, guys, we started at 9, 5 o'clock. Your day was never ending. You might, If you were able to get some time, hey, look, we got 45 minutes to rehearse. Whatever rehearsal we would do, we would have to do that after whatever other assignments or duties we had. So we had to go sell the papers. We had to do the breakfast program. We'd have to do the garbage run. We'd have to do security. We'd have to do whatever it is that any other panther would do. From the Panthers' perspective, the Lumpen was not about show business. It was about contributing to the revolution. As a matter of fact, for us, it was a, a point of pride to prove, you know, that we are 100% Panthers. Second, for us, it was just political work. And if they said the next day, okay, that's it, fine, because we didn't join for that. You know, if I was really about that, I could have been trying to do it out there in the world. I could have been out there trying to get paid. We never got paid. It was just, if this is how we can be helpful, if this is how we can be useful, if this will advance the cause, then this is what we'll do, you know. But it was always, we, we follow orders. And now, only a few months since they were harmonizing to the oldies at the printing plant, their orders are to get on stage and get to work. Educate the people, spread the word, and earn money for the party. The Lumpen assemble a six-piece interracial backing band from local players sympathetic to the cause. They're called the Freedom Messengers. By the summer of 1970, the group is performing at rallies, community gatherings, and Panther events around the Bay Area. And they're good. They're tight. It's a professional show on par with almost any act. They've got the energy of James Brown and the dance moves and harmonies of The Temptations. But the lyrics are all about what the Panthers are all about. And at that time, Bobby Seale had just been arrested in New Haven. And the first thing that we put together actually was Bobby Must Be Set Free. That song, titled Free Bobby Now, was recorded at a studio in San Jose in August of 1970. Bill Calhoun, the group's songwriter, thought the session was intended to be a demo, but the Panthers decided to release the single As Is, putting another one of Calhoun's songs, No More, on the flip side. The record was released on the Panthers' own Seize the Time label, with credit to Black Panther Party Productions. It was promoted in the party newspaper and sold at live shows and Panther events. Any profits were funneled straight back into the party. They took the craft seriously. That's Ricky Vincent. He's the author of Party Music, 
the inside story of the Black Panthers band and how black power transformed soul music. It's a subject he knows well. His mother was an early Panther. When they did People Get Ready uh, by Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, they hit those notes that you had to hit that shows respect for those aspirations that were in that song in 1964-65. The Lumpen flipped the lyrics, obviously, and instead of saying, people get ready, there's a train a-coming, they said, people get ready, the revolutions come, right? Uh, you You don't need a ticket, you need a loaded gun. And it was like, wait a minute, that is soul music the way it's supposed to be sung, but oh, those are not lyrics the way we've heard them before. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. The Lumpens start headlining their own shows. Their single isn't getting radio play. Free Bobby Now is considered just too controversial, but word of mouth and constant promotion in the Panther newspaper are drawing crowds. The group are gigging weekly, doing benefits and playing college campuses up and down the West Coast. And when they're not headlining their own shows, they're on bills with the Grateful Dead, Carla Thomas, and Curtis Mayfield. And not only is the music on fire, but the live show takes choreography to a whole nother level. Nonstop, as we had to say, nonstop. Even mixed in a, a dance routine where we would act out brothers on the block playing dice and James Mott would be a cop and he would come and harass one and he'd be beating his brother up. And, oh, that was a funky Broadway, that's what it was. He'd be beating him up with the club and I'm watching it. And then I'd finally get disgusted and said, I'm not going to take it anymore. And I would jump in and jump on the cop. And then Clark and I together would beat the cop down. So it wasn't just the singing. It was the choreography, the dancing. But the whole experience was something that they hadn't seen before. They'd seen it, but they hadn't seen it like that. In the winter of 1970, the band hits the road for a tour of the Midwest and the East Coast. The crowds are enthusiastic, but tension is in the air. And uh, I'll never forget this. David Levinson is the Freedom Messenger's 19-year-old sax player. After a show at the University of Minnesota, a snowstorm is kicking in. The band is packing up their gear when they're approached by members of the Black Student Union. These guys from the student group, they come out and they're got all they look like. They look like a military junta. <laughs> the black beret, the black boots. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Oh, well, uh. Who are those white guys? Excuse me? 
They're part of the lumping band. Well, you know, they can't stay. Well, he told them, look, you motherfuckers. We're not staying if they're not staying. I said, this is a people's revolution. And these are our brothers that we stand behind. That's just a small but very real example of the kind of camaraderie and kind of unity that we felt. So there never was any racism promoted for or practiced by the Black Panther Party at all. The Lumpen are also in the crosshairs of the cops wherever they go. Late one night, after a college show in New Jersey, the police follow the band down an empty road heading out of town. James Mott. Get out the car. They knew who we were, and it was pitch dark when they pulled us over. We were like, this is it. They're going to kill us. You know, the general rule is back then, go to a lighted area. Well, what they did was one car got in front of us, slowed down, and the other one got right behind us. And they waited for that real dark area to pull us over. This was part of the intimidation, right? And my four of them, they was grinning. Sing for us. So we started singing, what was that song? As we stroll along together, we, we sang it, we was in harmony. And, and who are these guys? What's all that in the back? They made them pull out all the band equipment and miss messing with them. Okay, you can load it all back up again. I'm gonna still kill you fuckers. This is the kind of language they tell us, right? And they would just harass us to let us know, we're watching you, we, we know who you are. The Lumpen are battling another force besides the authorities, and it's coming from within the party. There were people in the party, some in leadership, some in the rank and file that, that say, yeah, you know, these guys are going to think there's something special. If it wasn't for Emory, I don't think the Lumpen would have came about because Emory's the one who had the juice. And there was people that wasn't into the Lumpen. They didn't think revolutionaries should be doing that kind of thing. But there were older people, too. You know, they wasn't R&B people. They were blues people. And during that time, there was a difference. Because, like I said, most of the leadership of the party was Southern guys. Southern guys like blues. We are young guys. We like R&B. <laughs> so that's why they never really got any more higher than they were, because they were always related to his Panthers first. Well, uh, I, I think some people may have thought of it as not being important, They're not understanding how, how important the culture was to getting the message out. But that didn't stop them. It's November 10th, 1970, at Merritt College in Oakland. It's the alma mater of Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, the birthplace of the Black Panther Party. Tonight, to a packed auditorium, the Lumpen will get the message out. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Black Panther Party very proudly presents the Lumpin'! in mind, this group has been together for less than a year. While almost everybody else in the San Francisco music scene has been getting high and jamming, the Lumpen have been working as full-time revolutionaries, pursued by the police and the FBI, and they still got this together. And tonight is special. The show is being recorded for a live album, and the group pulls out all the stops. Yeah. 
Billy Jennings is there with his fist in the air. It was one of the best shows in my life because the audience was electrified. You know, once the lumping came on and the band started playing, you would hear them repeat something to the crowd and the crowd would throw it back. Like when they say all power to the people, the crowd say all power to the people with a force. And when they said death to the fascist pigs, they said death to the fascist pigs. If you just listen to the people's feedback alone, you can just get high on that. Yeah, they were killing me, boy, when I heard that. And even to this day, when I hear it, it just gives me that revolutionary enthusiasm, you know, because everybody was on the one that night. We were thinking about the same thing, you know, revolution. The show was an undeniable success, but no album ever appeared. The master tapes made that night went missing, and have never been found. Some have suggested they were confiscated by the FBI. It's also possible they were mislabeled and disappeared in the chaos and discord of the time period. Or they could be decaying in an attic somewhere, long forgotten. Only a grainy, multi-generation cassette of the show has ever surfaced, but it captures the raw power of the band. As 1971 arrives, the Panther Party leadership is in chaos. Bobby Seale is still in prison in New Haven. Eldridge Cleaver, the Minister of Information, has fled to Algeria to escape an attempted murder charge on an Oakland cop. In a CBS interview with reporter Mike Wallace, Cleaver makes his feelings about violence against authority figures abundantly clear. When the American people hear that you want to shoot your way into the United States Senate, take off the head of a senator. Take off the head of Richard Nixon, you see? What does that mean? This is rhetoric? This is not rhetoric. In February of 71, Cleaver and Huey Newton appear on the live TV show AM San Francisco. Newton is recently out of prison after serving almost two years for manslaughter, and a serious falling out has been growing between the men. Now it's coming to a head. For this interview, though, neither one is actually in the studio. The show is broadcasting a live phone call. When AM San Francisco booked these men, the producers expected things might get heated. And they were right. We've got lots of things coming up here on AM this morning. Lots of things that you'll like to see, and we're looking forward to them, too, right here on AM. Hey, what's happening? Yeah, you got the bombshell this morning. Well, very embarrassing for me. So uh, I'm warning you now, or notifying you, that the intercommunal section, you hear? Yeah. The intercommunal section is expelled. That's not the best way to deal with that. Well, this, this is the way I'm going to deal with it. Well, then I think you're a bad man too, brother. But I'm not a coward like you, brother, because you run off to get a little Bobby Hutton killed. But I stay here and face the gas, you see? So you're a coward and you're a punk. You understand? I think 
this gives us your ability to reason, brother. Hey, brother, you know what I call you. That's what I feel about you now. So what you just heard was two of the leaders of the Black Panther Party firing each other from the Black Panther Party on live TV. This bizarre public fight factionalizes the group, which falls completely into disarray. You always kind of come back out with some different ideas about how things should go. Plus, you got to split, you know, to the point that, unfortunately, in some cases, you got Panther against Panther, depending on whether you were with Eldridge's vision or whether you were with national headquarters because well, eldridge was still promoting violence right right you and i were talking, you know, we're, we're moving towards a survival program even we had to change because all of our original songs was picking up the gun outside my window i heard a shotgun thing this is the price that oppression brings a victory for the people a pig blood in the street there were some other things going on internally in terms of some of the things that was being done by Huey that I didn't agree with, I didn't join for. And it wasn't about the police. See, I was just saying that was bad about it. I was never scared about the police. It's a bad thing when you get more concerned about the people that you work with than you do with the cops. As the atmosphere within the party becomes more desperate, interest in the group from those in power dwindles to almost nothing. The Lumpen members are reassigned. They're taken off of R&B duty and put on security detail. Their days as a singing group are numbered. No, no, it wasn't justified. It could have been worked out. But, you know, if you had people who wanted to exercise their position as being in, in charge, all those things can play into it. Petty, petty spitefulness, all that. We never thought of ourselves as anything other than Panthers. And the Lumpen was a cadre, a unit for a cultural purpose. You know, we loved it. We enjoyed it. But in the big picture, it's just another assignment. And so when the situation and circumstances change, then you move on to the next assignment. You know, And we didn't really have time to mourn about it because that's exactly what happened. On May 23, 1971, in Sacramento, the Lumpen play their final gig. A few days later, Bill Calhoun decides to leave the party completely. He was the group's songwriter. So, only 11 months after it began, the band is done. But the Panther Party is still Michael Torrance's life. It's all he's known since he was a teenager. You know, I was loyal to it. I had committed my life to it. I had every intention as far as I was concerned. At least at that point, that was going to be my life. Which brings us back to that night in 1973 at a bar in West Oakland. The night Torrance talked to Bobby Seale and asked for some time off from the Panthers. <clears throat> so anyway, I go to Bobby uh, at his birthday party at the Lampos, and I sit down with him, you know, and I said, well, Chairman, uh, I have a daughter. She, she needs some support. 
Plus, I'm having these little anxiety attacks. It's affected my work. It's affected my effectiveness. I don't want to quit. I don't want to leave, but I need some time. Get myself back together, and then I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And Bobby was real cool with me on it, you know. I'm crying. I'm, I'm shedding tears. Torrance is leaving the bar when Huey Newton calls him back upstairs. He says the party will contribute $50 a month for Torrance's daughter's support. Then Newton puts a gun to Torrance's head and says this. Okay, then. We said $50. But you say, all power to the people. All power to the people. So I stuck around. And uh, about six months later, one of the guys from Chicago comes by. And uh, he says, you still want to go? He says, because we can't afford to pay for your kid no more. You can go now. You can leave now. Okay. Well, all right, too. I'll the people now. And that's it. Michael Torrance is out of the Black Panthers. And it, and it was traumatic. What was traumatic for me was leaving. What was traumatic for me was what it had become. Did you feel betrayed by Yes. This? Absolutely. Absolutely. Betrayed. Angry. Bitter. Frustrated, yes. It took me a while to get back to what they call living in the world. Because the party was my world. That's what you're asking me, who am I? I'm a Panther. You know, that's what I was, that's who I was. And then to lose that, you know, and try to get back to adjusting out here. You know, and trying to get a job, you know, and what can I put on my resume? <laughs> where, 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 where you been the last five years? But Torrance did have something on his resume that worked outside of the revolution, the lumpen. It got him a job. Torrance wound up singing behind Marvin Gaye, and he appeared on the singer's 1974 album, Marvin Gaye Live. It was recorded just a few miles away from where the Lumpen recorded their own live album, just four years earlier, in Oakland. Torrance went on to write, produce, and sing for other artists for the rest of the 70s. Though he parted ways with the Panthers almost 50 years ago, the whole experience is still very much a part of it. As far as the Black Panther Party's concerned, I don't regret anything. I was with people that these things last a lifetime. So like me and Calhoun and James and some of the other ones, you know, we still, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that back for anything. Uh, we, we made some mistakes, yeah. But at the time, and for what it was, it was right on time. And uh, I was just glad to be a part of it, you know. We didn't, like I said, we never did it to get famous. We never did it to get rich. We did it because we really wanted to do something for our people and make a change. Yes, on our streets. Mm -hmm. And our 
Robert